The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of the PFT PM podcast, and we will have an interview with XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck coming up here momentarily. About a half hour with him. I told him 20 minutes, and, you know, he's a former lawyer like I am, so he knows that we like to talk a lot, and I like to talk, and he likes to talk, so we did plenty of talking. 30 minutes on the demise of the AAF, what it means for the XFL, some intriguing ideas about the things the XFL will be doing by way of rules, and just some philosophical points about spring football. I still am concerned that there aren't enough people who care about spring football. And I keep looking at Tuesday and Wednesday night in football season, and I think that maybe that's the spot for a professional league that would welcome college players that are less than three years removed from high school. You'll hear from Oliver Luck about the issue of college players who aren't yet eligible for the NFL draft, maybe a little about John Manziel, a little bit about the rule changes, a little bit about the AAF, and more when you hear that coming up. Before we get to that, though, and what I'll do is, just so you understand where you're going here, because they always say, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, then tell them what you told them, although I don't need to do that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to talk about whatever crap may be going on in the NFL today, then play the interview, then answer some of your questions and the the one thing that I just don't understand and I, I'm trying to be as respectful as possible to Antonio Brown when I when I comment on this situation I don't understand what the guy's trying to prove with this never-ending issue with Juju Smith-Schuster I, I don't know what his point is I don't know what the deal is I I You got what you wanted. You have won. The fight's over. You wanted out of Pittsburgh. You got out of Pittsburgh. You used social media to get out of Pittsburgh. It worked. You are the victor. Now just go. Quit obsessing over former teammates. And I really do think there's kind of a mirror, mirror on the wall thing going on between Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. That Antonio Brown, now that he's on the wrong side of 30, he understands that he's only going to have so many years to play. And he sees Juju Smith-Schuster as the guy who was destined to become the new Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. And I feel like Brown wanted out before the Steelers could nudge him out. I am breaking up with you before they could break up with him. And Antonio Brown, I don't know how smart he is per se, but I think he's sufficiently self-aware to understand that all that shit that he pulled over the years was going to come back to haunt him the moment they realized they could get by with someone younger and cheaper. And that someone was likely to be 2018 Steelers MVP Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, I'll continue to say it was a mistake for the Steelers' 
to inform the players of the 2018 MVP while there were still games to be played, that that was a catalyst, maybe the catalyst for what happened with Antonio Brown the last week of the regular season, but it feels like this was inevitable. It feels like this was going to blow no matter what. And it is kind of predictable, but it's still kind of amazing that he keeps going after Juju Smith-Schuster. He can't help himself. The thing he put on Instagram today, I, I don't know what he thought the reaction was going to be. So now I'm going to say maybe he's not as self-aware as I would have believed. When he posts a screenshot of a direct message from a then 18-year-old Juju Smith-Schuster saying, what's up, A.B.? I'm a receiver at the University of Southern California. I appreciate all your work. You're a great man on and off the field. Do you have any tips that can help take my game to the next level? Thanks. How does that make Smith-Schuster look bad? Oh, look, he, he asked me for help. That means I'm better than him. That, that's how basic and petty this is. Look, once upon a time, he asked me for help. So the fact that he asked me for help means I'm better than him. And even though he won the MVP award in 2018 for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm better than him. And even though he may have bigger numbers than me in 2019 because he's got Ben Roethlisberger and I've got Derek Carr, I'm better than him. No matter what, I'm better than him because he asked me for help. So I'm better than him. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It makes him look like a child. It makes him look like a buffoon. And I have tried to be respectful of Antonio Brown because he is immensely talented, but he has conducted himself like a moron this offseason. And I'm not entirely sure he actually did win with this effort to get out of Pittsburgh. I think there's a chance that they were ready to move on from him anyway. So what he wanted and what he got was coincidental to the Steelers being ready to say, see you later, Antonio Brown that they were ready to move on. And I still think there's a chance Ben Roethlisberger said, get this guy out of here, and they're going to give Ben Roethlisberger what he wants. So that that just is astounding to me. That basically Antonio Brown is free from the Steelers. He's gone, and he keeps looking back, and he's tripping over his shoes as he's looking back at the Steelers and, and picking fights with, with guys that he had no reason to fight with other than out of basic, good old-fashioned, who's the fairest of them all, jealousy. It, it, it really is amazing. I saw some quotes from Stephen Jones, the Cowboys COO, about Dak Prescott's contract because now that DeMarcus Lawrence is done, they can move on to the next one. And the next one would either be Amari Cooper, and they know what he's going to make in his fifth-year option. They know what he's going to make under his franchise tag. It's very easy to calculate what it would take to sign him, just like it was easy to calculate what it was going to take to sign Demarcus Lawrence. With Dak Prescott, it gets interesting. Because Dak Prescott is one year away from unlocking the year-to-year franchise tag. Conundrum. And if he wants to play hardball, he can put the Cowboys in a very difficult spot. Stephen Jones told the Dallas Morning News that Prescott will have to do a team-friendly deal. He's due to make $2 million this year. Next year, let's say it's a flat $25 million for the non-exclusive franchise tag. $25 million. 25 
times 1.2, that means 30 million for 2021. And then times 1.44, 43.2. So 43.2 plus 30 plus 25, it's 98.2 million over three years for Dak Prescott. Divide that by three. 32.7 32.7 million. I mean, if he really wants to push it, he could get that. Or he can just go year to year and put the Cowboys in a position where they would have to decide come 2022 whether or not they want to apply the franchise tag, which would be 43.2 million for one year. This is where you hope that Prescott realizes there is value in being the wire to wire Dallas Cowboys quarterback, that you can walk out of the locker room and into a broadcast booth. Whether you stay there depends upon whether or not you're any good. If you're no good, you ain't staying. You can always come out of retirement and return to the football field. But there is value. What he's going to make in endorsements as the Cowboys quarterback, he's already got the Dan and Yogurt hookup. I'm sure he'll have other things if the Cowboys continue to be successful. But that's what Prescott has to ask himself. How hard do I want to push this? Because if the Cowboys would allow him to hit the open market at some point, how much would someone else pay him? I think we saw him mature before our eyes in the postseason last year, more so in the Rams game than the Seahawks game, because in the Rams game, he didn't have help. Usually he plays well when he's got help. He didn't have help in that game. They bottled up Ezekiel Elliott, but Dak still looked pretty good. But where a guy lands on the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning sliding scale, that is critical to figuring out whether or not he will stay put with a contract that makes him happy and the team happy. Tom Brady, team-friendly deal. Peyton Manning, it's not my job to manage the salary cap, it's yours. And Prescott's already joked about a team-friendly deal saying, my wife's not a supermodel. So this could get interesting between the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. And you have to wonder, will they get everyone that they want to keep under contract. And meanwhile, we hear about Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Demarcus Lawrence, Byron Jones. What about Ezekiel Elliott? He's the one guy who should maybe stand up and say, hey, you know what? I want mine now, even though I'm the farthest away out of all these guys from being eligible for the franchise tag because Elliott's got two years left on his contract. So I... I think the Cowboys, you know, they're paying the price of having a good team, but they're really not that good. They haven't accomplished much, but they have a lot of great players who have gone to the playoffs two of the last three years, and that that is complicating their salary cap and complicating their spending, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions about what they want to do. How about Justin Reed, the Texan safety, saying that He can't wait to smash Antonio Brown. That was the reaction to Antonio Brown going after Juju Smith-Schuster. I think a lot of players are going to be upset by Antonio. What what do you gain? This is not the WWE where you, you need someone to be a heel. He is embracing this villain persona, this Raiders vibe whether he intends to or not. It's just it's just a bizarre situation. And somebody needs to get through to him, whether it's his agent, whether 
it's a family member, somebody needs to say, Antonio, you are not winning this. You are making yourself look very, very bad. All right, without further ado, a full 30 minutes with XFL Commissioner Oliver Luck on a variety of issues that the new league that debuts in February of 2020 will be addressing. Here it is, Oliver Luck. I'll be back with your questions on the other side. It's been a big week for alternative football leagues with the implosion of the AAF. It's creating more anticipation for what happens when the XFL returns. So for that reason, we wanted to bring back the XFL commissioner, former NFL quarterback, former West Virginia University quarterback, which is important to me, and also former West Virginia athletic director. He is Oliver Luck. Oliver, welcome back. How are you, pal? I'm great, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And obviously... This whole concept of spring football is in the news. There is plenty of anticipation about what the XFL will do and plenty of questions about what the end of the AAF may mean to that. And I just want to start with the most basic question because a lot of people were surprised by what happened last week. What was your level of surprise, scale of 1 to 10, when you found out the AAF was pulling the plug? You know, my level of surprise was probably around a a seven or so, you know, so I was a a little bit taken aback, you know, like a lot of other football fans. I enjoyed, you know, watching the games. I didn't see all of them, but, you know, certainly was following the league. You know, I know a handful of the head coaches in the league, knew a bunch of the assistant coaches in the league. And of course, you know, from their player pool, plenty of names that I recognized. So I, you know, I, I guess I was um, surprised uh, and, and saddened, quite honestly, because, you know, we think that anybody who's trying to play professional football in the spring, and it's, it's a big challenge, as you know, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about that a little bit. Uh, but you know, we want all we wanted all those leagues to have success because we think a rising tide lifts all boats to a you know to a certain degree. So uh, I was probably at a seven, maybe even an eight, you know, because it seemed as though as they got uh, you know relief from from Tom Dundon that you know they were going to you know finish the season and probably do what everybody has done after their inaugural season. You take a step back, you kind of retool, you know, figure out where you maybe could save a little bit of money or where you need to spend a little bit more money or retool your player comp system or whatever it is. Uh, But, yeah, so I was somewhat surprised they weren't able to make it through the end of the season. You know, I always sensed, Oliver, that both leagues took the high road, said the right things, maybe didn't go out of their way to acknowledge the other league. But was there anything behind the scenes that would be more indicative of the kind of competition we would expect between two rival sports leagues that are going to be playing their games at about the same time? Uh, you know, not really. I mean, I, I am friendly with Bill Polian. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Bill, obviously. Uh, I will tell you, and I think I've told you before, that you know Charlie came to me a couple of years ago and asked me if I wanted to get involved with the league that he was developing. And I politely declined, just uh, believing that he was going to have a hard time raising the money. You know, and you know, so much of a startup league involves the capital commitment that that can be created. Now, whether that comes from one person, like in our situation with Vince, which is obviously a lot easier than multiple, you know, venture capital partners, uh, I think that's important. But, um, I mean, I, listen, I, I think at the end of the day, those of us who are in the sort of alternative space as far as professional football is concerned, I, I think we're quite honestly all rooting for each other. Obviously, you know, we may have ended up fighting over, you know, some players or some some coaches, but ultimately I think we wanted the, the league to do well because it would be affirmation of what we think we've seen, uh, which is, you know, an appetite 
and a significant appetite for for high quality football. Very important to you know preface that, but high quality football in the spring. You touched on the issue of funding, and even though the AAF has yet to give anyone an official explanation for what happened, it just seems like, if you apply common sense to the situation, they didn't have enough cash to get through a full season, and that was that. And that would seem to immediately distinguish the XFL because Vince McMahon seems to be committed to multiple seasons where cash won't be an issue while the XFL finds its footing. You know, I, I, I lived through this in, at NFL Europe, and, and, and I'll be very brief, but, you know, we, we, there was two seasons of the old World League of American football. I was over in Frankfurt running the Frankfurt Galaxy. Season one, five home games. Season two, five home games. Uh, the Galaxy was one of the successes um, eventually in NFL Europe when that was created, but, you know, the league took a two-year hiatus in 1993 and 94, and then we relaunched. So I say all of that to tell you that I don't think – uh, an owner really has an idea of whether the league is successful or not until at the earliest, you know, after that second year, and really probably not until the third or fourth year, uh, because you know football is a game of lim- limited games, <laughs> right? You, 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 know, you can't work. We have a relatively short schedule, five home dates for each of our teams, and when you consider weather and all the other factors that kind of come into it, I think you, you really have to plan for a minimum of two, if not, you know, three or four seasons to have a sense of whether the league is making it. I think that's true as well of of your broadcast partners because they're going to need a little bit of time to develop, you know, the profile of the league, to develop, you know, some continuity in the league, to, uh, you know, sort of develop the the fine points of of playing that kind of a game that we want to play, which is, you know, the up-tempo, fast-paced game with, you know, lots of scoring ideally. So I, I think it does take time, you know, yeah, the cliche is that Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm not sure we have to build Rome, but uh, we sure have to build, you know, something that uh, that that resembles, you know, professional football. And I think that just that that takes time. You can't do it sort of overnight. There was a report from Daniel Kaplan of Sports Business Daily earlier on Monday that at some point in December, there was a request from the AAF or I don't know whether request is the right word, but there was some sort of inquiry about a possible merger of the two leagues once it looked like the AAF was going to have some financial issues. Can you confirm that that actually did happen? Uh, I, I really can't. It, 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 uh, you know, Vince and and Dick Ebersol, Charlie's dad, you know, are I think as you know this, Mike, they're they're very close, and the families are very close. So uh, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me that you know during a you know Christmas cocktail party conversation or something uh, that you know Vince may have been approached by Dick about this. But uh, I, I can tell you from our league level, right? You know, operating the league, uh, we never really looked at any sort of you know, potential merger or acquisition. You know, I had the business plan that Vince had given me in our eight markets, et cetera. And that, that's what, what we planned for, you know, all the way through the, 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 the sort of the holiday weeks and then in the, into, of course, this year. Consciously or not, the XFL picked eight markets that the AAF didn't put teams in. Is there any effort to take a look at some of those AAF markets and maybe reshuffle the deck because San Antonio was performing well, Orlando seemed to be performing well, and those could be locations where an XFL team could be shifted? Well, uh, the short answer is uh, no changes in our eight markets, although we are you know, studying, if you will, you know what the AAF did well, and they did did some very good things in in some of the markets, and, and what they they didn't do well. I take, you know, a lot of um, sort of you know confidence in the fact that San Antonio did well, since we have two 
Texas teams uh, in, in larger markets, obviously in NFL markets, you know, in Dallas and in Houston. Uh, but having lived down in Texas, knowing how seriously Texans take their football, I think if we can offer a good product, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, good, if, if not even better results than what they accomplished in, in San Antonio. But I think as we look down the road, you know, to potential expansion, and gosh, we haven't even played a game, so it's silly to talk about expansion, but I think those lessons are, are good for us to, uh, you know, to take away from the, the AAF's first year. You said you looked at some things they did well, some things they didn't do well. Can you give me an example of either one, something they did well and something they didn't? Well, I think that uh, with their game pace, uh, I think they did pretty well. There are a couple of those, you know, technological innovations, particularly the the audio element of their, uh, you know, listening into a refereeing crew make the decision. Uh, we've believed for for a while, uh, and we've been working on tech stuff for a while that audio is is something that uh, is been undervalued, you know, and it's a great way to provide access to fans to listen to the uh, coach to quarterback communication or listen to the play call in the huddle, for example, obviously without, you know, interfering with the integrity of the game. So I think there are some things uh, in terms of the football part that, you know, that they really did well. I think, you know, on, on, on the flip side, uh, there are some things that they probably just didn't have time to get done. Uh, and, and we're very grateful that Vince has given us, uh, the time, you know, to, you know, get your workers comp to, you know, all buttoned up without, you know, any worries about, you know, uh, what jurisdictions you're in and where you have to practice, what sort of coverage players may have. You know, those are things that, that simply take time. And, you know, there's no criticism, but I think it was just very difficult for the AAF and their, you know, their executive team to get those things done because of the, you know, relatively short time they had to, to launch their season. And just from a nuts and bolts standpoint, I hadn't thought of this until just now. What's the plan for facilities for your teams? It looks like these AAF teams were operating out of hotels that had been partially converted to accommodate them. Are you going to be doing that or will there be separate practice facilities that each team will will be using? So we'll have uh, you know, every team in its own practice facility. Uh, you know, obviously, a place like St. Louis will be using the Rams' former practice facility, which has been maintained. Uh, it's been used by you know the, the, the community of St. Louis for all sorts of events. So uh, we've got a deal there, and we're actually putting some capital into that facility to fix up some of the locker rooms and get meeting rooms for the players, et cetera. But we're, we're in great shape there. But we're using facilities in each of our uh, of our eight markets occasionally. Uh, they'll there there'll be facilities that belong to a, a college or a junior college. Uh, in other cases, there'll be a, sort of a municipal facility. We're looking at a municipal stadium in uh, in, in the suburbs of Seattle uh, that would effectively sort of be ours during the season. In other words, our teams could move in, could set up their meeting rooms, locker rooms, uh, you know, training rooms, you know, all the things that that a club needs. Those things take time, right? I mean, I, I did this, uh, you know, in NFL Europe for ten years. And don't want to say that I'm the expert on it, but uh, those things really just simply take time because you're dealing with very often municipal entities that can't make you know quick decisions overnight, uh, or or even in cases like St. Louis, you know where there's a designed practice facility available, but uh, we want to make sure that it really fits our standards. So those are the types of things that you just can't you can't you know cut corners on uh, because they're they're so important to I think how a league is run and how it's organized. And believe me, as you know. Mike, right? Players and coaches come in, and you know they want to see, uh, and they, they recognize we're a startup league, but they want to see a certain level of accommodations and a certain level of, 
you know, of equipment and, and stadium and all that, right? Because that sort of, you know, affirms the quality of the league ultimately. I think it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense, but, you know, that's very important. That's very important to Vince. I spent a lot of time last week thinking about what went wrong with the AAF, what can go right with the XFL, what opportunities are out there for a football league other than the NFL. And one thing that that dawned on me, I'd say about Thursday or Friday after mulling these thoughts over for a few days, the idea that it's just hard to get people interested in football when it's not football season. And Oliver, I think back to when the USFL came around. I was still in high school. I wanted to be into the USFL. I tried to will myself to be into it, but it was March and I just couldn't get there. And why is there a level of confidence that in non-traditional football months, football fans are going to say we want more football, even though it doesn't feel like football season? Well, it's, it's a very fair question, and certainly I think because of the you know decades and decades of tradition of you know football being a fall sport, you know we've just sort of associated football with the fall and fall with football, right? And cold weather towards the end of the season, et cetera. I mean, it's almost a historical mistake if you think about it. Take the hundred thousand foot view; it's a historical mistake. Uh, that or a historical accident, I should say, that football is a fall sport. It's, you know, if the heart, if the Princeton Rutgers game uh, didn't take place on November sixth, but April sixth, back in eighteen sixty nine, who knows? Football might be a spring sport now. <laughs> uh, it's kind of fun to think about what that what that could mean. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you my experience in terms of you know anecdotal uh, evidence. Uh, I was in Houston going to. Uh, law school and in the off season when I was an oiler and I was going to Houston gambler games and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Right. It was March. It was April. The old Astrodome was, you know, I don't know, 25, 30,000 good, good crowds, good competitive games, Jim Kelly and the gamblers. You know, I think I remember going to an LA express game with Steve young and uh, Chicago, whatever they were called the enforcers, you know, back in the day. But uh, I, I, I do think in our in our most importantly, our research, you know, really indicates that people, hardcore football fans, the almost 40 million self-identified, hardcore, passionate football fans, that they will, in fact, consume football. Will they consume it as much as they do in the in the fall? Probably not. Uh, but we think there is an opportunity uh, to attract those fans with, you know, sort of this up-tempo, high-quality, fast-paced game and develop enough of a viewership, right? And we don't have to have NFL numbers or major college, you know, viewing numbers or attendance figures, but we need, you know, ultimately to do well enough uh, with the, that group to, uh, you know, to have a, a sustainable standalone business. So it's a challenge, right? There's no question about that. Uh, as I've said to you before, the, you know, the grave yard is littered with the tombstones of failed spring leagues uh, but I'm, I'm certainly excited we're, we're confident but knowing full well that we have you know a massive amount of work to do to you know sell season tickets to get local sponsors involved at the you know get national sponsors involved uh, finalize our broadcast deals which we're very close to doing uh, but with all those right partners all the correct partners those powerful partners that, that we're going to have on board I think we've got a pretty good shot and I think we're sort of modest and humble enough know it's going to be hard and, and we got to you know come to work every day and, and, and bring it as they say with the AAF out of the picture there's no longer any concern about having XFL games on at the same time as AAF games so you've got the full week what day or days are you targeting for the XFL games to be played 
So we are uh, targeting Saturdays and Sundays. We think that's uh, you know part of the tr- sort of traditional uh, rhythm that, that football fans have. Uh, and we're looking at the very end of our season to potentially uh, do a handful of Thursday games just to sort of test that out. So we think uh, we think ultimately though that that a Saturday Sunday is you know it replicates obviously what the college fan uh, does on on a Saturday and what the pro fan does on the Sunday and very often those are the the same the same fans right going to a college game Saturday and then jumping in the car and driving up to a in our case up to a Steelers or a Redskins game. Give me an idea of some of the rule changes that you've already either considered, passed, or you know may or may not be using, but still under advisement that would distinguish and differentiate the XFL from the NFL and maybe make it something that will get people just by virtue of the way the game is going to be played inherently interested in tuning in and watching. Sure. So, um, you know, the, the short sort of thumbnail list, uh, we'll, we'll be working with a 30 second play clock uh, again, you know, in, in tune with kind of keeping up with that up-tempo fast paced game. I, I think our games will look a little bit more like some of the college hurry up, you know, offenses uh, with, you know, the requisite number of plays. Uh, we have a different kickoff, Mike, and I'm excited about that because, you know, I'm a traditionalist to a certain degree and uh, I've been saddened, you know, as I've watched football both at the professional and college level uh, with the fact that the kickoff return, nobody really cares about the kickoff. They care about the return. That's the fun part of that play. So we want to keep the kickoff return in the game, as I like to say. We want to keep the foot in football. So we've got a different uh, kickoff that uh, we'll be uh, test. We are testing it right now, in fact, down at the Spring League. Uh, we're planning on using the CFL's no-fair-catch five-yard halo rule. Uh, that has, uh, as the new kickoff does, that has a positive safety aspect, but also, you know, guarantees uh, basically a, a, a punt return, which I think, again, is a very, you know, important play. Uh, we've got a different overtime rule that uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the guys down in, at the Spring League are, are testing that as well, or at least they did this past Saturday, and they'll test it again this Thursday when they play a couple of games. And uh, our broadcast partners uh, are very excited about that. They really like you know that uh, that concept as well, um, that, because it also fits in with our three-hour time limit that we're trying to to stick to. We want to avoid. You and I are both old enough to remember the Heidi game. We want to avoid that at all costs. So we're really focused on getting a game, even with overtime, done under three hours. Uh, we've got uh, uh, what we've got a, a redefinition of a forward pass. And uh, so a forward pass in, in our rule book will be a pass that doesn't cr- – a forward pass will be a pass that, um, um, that, that, in terms of the line of scrimmage, right, that doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. So you could have a, a, a double forward pass as long as that first pass doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. So imagine, you know, um, a, a, a key route, right, a quick, you know, sort of bubble screen type thing. Uh, whether it, it, it went forward or backward becomes irrelevant as long as it doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. We're playing with the idea, toying with the idea of allowing that receiver to be, the, to be uh, like a quarterback and throw a second pass. Uh, we find that it's hard, very hard uh, for officiating crews because they really don't have anybody lined up uh, you know, to watch that ball, whether it uh, it's going forwards or, or is, a, you know, is a lateral. Think, if you can remember this, think of the Miami-Florida State game earlier uh, this season where there was a critical play, game-changing play, uh, that ended up getting called back um, you know, because of, uh, of, of the, the angle that, that existed for the referee and crew. So 
there's there's a handful of other things that we're thinking about uh, doing. We're looking, um, you know, at, at, a, at a number of different things, but ultimately. We want to stick with sort of our notion that uh, the game is certainly familiar. It's 11 on 11, same field, same number of downs, et cetera. Uh, but we do want to have some things that really uh, n- not just are different for, for differences' sake, uh, but we think, you know, quite honestly, are, are things that fans will like to see. We also have a, a three-tiered extra point. You can go for one point after you score. You can go for two points after you score, or you can go for three points after you score. So we, uh, we literally have a nine point touchdown. We think that's valuable because, uh, you know, teams that historically, you know, are down by, let's say three scores. Well, guess what? If it's a, you know, 16 point or 17 point differential, you're really uh, looking at a two, a two score game theoretically. So uh, there's a number of things that we're trying to do a little bit differently. Um, you know, the way I look at it, the national football league, has an incredibly attractive product. You know, the game is being played, I think, at an all-time high in terms of the quality of the athletes and the, you know, the quality of play. I'd say the same thing about, you know, major college ball. So there's really not much that needs to be refined or or worked on. But uh, we think the roundabout dozen or so changes that we have will will add uh, to the attractiveness of the game. For the three-point PAT, what what does it take? How how far out do you have to convert to get the three? Yeah, all three are plays from scrimmage, right? So uh, a one-point play would be a play from scrimmage from the two-yard line. A two-point play would be a play from scrimmage from the five-yard line. And a three-point play would be a play from scrimmage from the 10-yard line. So uh, we thought about, you know, the 15-yard line being the starting point for a three-point play. But after talking to coaches, they said that they would simply kind of do the old picket fence defense, you know. And you know, keep a keep a guy out of the end zone uh, that way, as opposed to you know from the ten where they have to play a little bit more sort of traditional defense. So uh, we think that's going to be kind of a fun thing, quite honestly. We uh, spent a lot of time talking to our head coaches about it, how they would plan for it. They're already you know running the algorithms on on what that means. You know, should when, when should you go for it on on three or go for it on two as opposed to one. Uh, but that again, that, that brings an element of coaching that uh, I think will be appealing to fans. And the overtime procedure, uh, apparently I understand it's based on an idea we floated a couple years ago. I'm glad somebody actually listens to some of the craziness that we put out there. But the two-point conversion shootout with 44 guys on the field at the same time. If that's what you guys do, I hope it's compelling. I hope the NFL picks it up. I, I think it, it's a fair way to resolve a game. I, I think that it eliminates all the issues philosophically that the NFL is dealing with now about two possessions and whatnot. It makes it like hockey. It makes it like soccer. It works for those sports and I think that would make any overtime I mean people would stop everything they're doing to watch that unfold if you had 44 guys on the field at the same time going back and forth at a two-point conversion well you nailed it (laughs) I mean you you, you nailed it so you know we we spent a lot of time thinking about this and you know, I mean, right? Soccer, which is the global game, hockey is a you know at least cold weather global game, and you know they they figured out how to do overtimes, and they're they're compelling. I you know as a former GM president and with of an MLS team, I was you know I spent a lot of time you know sort of uh, biting my fingernails in in PK situations, but uh, we think it makes a lot of sense. We think it's very fair, as, as you point out, and we also think again trying to make sure that we can get these games under 
you know, under three hours, that if we do have overtime, and we hope we do because that indicates a close game, that, you know, that, that overtime session can get done in four or five minutes. And that cannot happen, you know, with a, a full quarter in the NFL uh, or, you know, with, with the college system that can go on, you know, for, gosh, you know, six or seven possessions each. So uh, we, we think we think it makes some sense and, and we're excited about it. I'm glad I'm glad your folks have been and you've been talking about it for a number of years. I, you know, as we sat down, we really said, what can we do that has a sort of a, a, a time limit, but is also fair and you know, doesn't just involve a coin, co- a coin toss and a kicker? Do you do a certain number of opportunities for each team and then call it a tie, or does it go? Uh, we're planning, you know, on, doing, we're planning on doing five opportunities each, you know, so back and forth like a ping pong game. But we're also saying that the defense can score a point uh, with a turnover. So if the you know if the the luck offensive team is playing against the Florio defensive team, if if I throw a pick that first play to to you, right, you go into your first play already with a point in your pocket. Because we think it's fair to award the defense for you know for making a big play, and that's that would be a, a turnover. So as much as I would love to see a Stanford band type of a play, once that turnover happens, the play ends. You're not going to have a defensive player running down into 22 guys at the other end of the field. Correct, correct. But what we're yeah. what we're also planning on, you know, is we expect that right the the guys on the other side of the field they're watching their teammates play. You know, and, uh, you know, given the importance of, of, a, of a score of a successful play, that there'll be a great celebration, both with the, you know, the players that actually, you know, put the ball into the end zone, but, you know, their teammates on the other end. So I think there's just a, a, a really neat opportunity for a lot of good drama, right, in, in overtime. And that's what you want, right? And as, you're, as you mentioned, we're hoping that folks, you know, just jump right on that and really get excited about it as they're, you know, flipping through the dials looking for something compelling to watch. Well, I think it's going to be compelling, and I hope the NFL pays attention to it because I think if they do and if they're fair about it, it's something that they will gladly lift and use uh, for their own sport. All right, a couple quick ones before I let you go. First of all, are, are you guys hearing from any college players that want to take you up on that open door to let guys in who don't have their minimum three years that they need to get into the NFL draft? Well, uh, I would say this, that that you know there, there have been, as you know, a number of guys who've you know, started talking about it. Uh, you know, I, I think our our you know launching point February of 2020 is is still down the roads, uh, uh, down the way a little bit. So I, I you know we're not actively talking to anybody uh, at, at this point, but it, it is something that we are looking at. Um, as I had said uh, many times before, I would only do that though if if I believe that our coaches believe that a young man uh, you know who who is not eligible for the NFL, but nonetheless has the physical, the emotional, the mental sort of maturity to play professional football because we're going to have, you know, 26, 27, who knows, 28, 30-year-olds playing in our league. And that's a big thing for a 19 or a 20-year-old to do is to, you know, be on, 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 on his own, you know, playing against, a, you know, a caliber asset like that. So it's something that's certainly in our playbook. At this point, we really haven't spent too much time thinking about it. John Manziel currently available. Is he a guy that you will pursue at the XFL? If if he is, um, you know, able to to meet our standards, and if our coaches think he's, you know, one of the top quarterbacks out there that can help us play, certainly we we have no, you know, reason not to believe that, uh, you know, he couldn't be in, in in the mix. But again, it's really up to our quarterbacks. Our, I'm sorry, our coaches, in terms of the quarterbacks that they want to take a look at. Last one for you, and this is extremely hypothetical, but it's not that far into the future, and I get asked this question 
all the time. If there's a work stoppage for the NFL in 2021, striker a lockout, and the players are looking for something to do, is there any way the XFL would either have a second season or shift a season or do something to give NFL players a place where they can play? And obviously, the revenue that would go along with it to combat, for example, replacement players if the NFL would decide to go the route that they did in 1987. You know, I'd, I'd, be, um, I'd be, I guess, um, what's the right word? It'd be inappropriate for me to make a comment because we haven't really given that much thought. I've only actually talked about, you know, work stoppage, quite honestly, with uh, the player rep for the Indianapolis Colts. You can figure out who that is from a a theoretical basis because I went through a strike back in 1987, you know, as a, or I'm sorry, 1982 as as a player. Uh, But yeah, we, we haven't really given that, you know, given that scenario much, much thought. So the Houston XFL franchise could have a new quarterback in a couple of years is what you're telling me, potentially. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm saying that either. But uh. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. No, but, but I, I had to ask you. It's amazing to me. And, and it's, it's – look, here's the thing. There's so much interest out there about the concept of – alternate football leagues and spring football and there was so much more interest by my audience in the in the demise of the AAF than there was in the AAF so there's something out there it's just a question of getting it harnessed but people people are fascinated about what it could be I think the challenge is getting it there and and putting the time in necessary to let people realize what it is realize they like it and then the next thing you know they're hooked yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, I, I think anytime you launch something new, I, I literally, you know, go back to my experience, you know, launching the, the Houston Dynamo, right, the MLS franchise in Houston. And, you know, I was there for five years. Even year four, all of a sudden, you'd, you'd get fans would come up and say, Mr. Luck, I just attended the game. Gosh, this was so much fun. You know, and the answer was, where have you been the last four years, right? But it takes people a long time to realize there's something new in town. There's a new franchise or a new league. There's sort of new viewing opportunities on television. It, it takes folks, you know, a while to, to figure that out. It just doesn't happen automatically. So, you know, I, I think the, the caring power, the staying power is critical. And that's, I think, the main reason, you know, why we're so excited about this venture, because, you know, Vince, Vince does, in fact, have the, you know, the, the staying power. Well, there's no uh, bad thing if it deals with more football, and we're glad that uh, that this is coming, and we're anxious to see what happens. We look forward to talking to you again down the road as we get closer and closer to February of 2020. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Oliver Luck for always making himself available. It's fun to think about what this sport can become, what this league can become, if they do it right, will they do it right. They definitely will be funded. The problem with the AAF? Not funded. XFL, definitely funded. Funded directly by Vince McMahon. Now, that doesn't mean he won't say at some point, you know what, I'm not going to pour good money down a dry hole. But it sure seems like he's going to let this experiment last longer than the one from 2001. PFTPM Posse has a question. Does the Demarcus Lawrence deal affect any other players? Well, I mean, it affects other Cowboys, insofar as it it takes cap money away that could have gone to them. But what it does is it shows that there is a formula for negotiating and calculating a long-term deal for a guy who's under the franchise tag, and the Cowboys and Lawrence essentially use that formula. This year's franchise tag number plus next year's fully guaranteed. Now, it comes in at $48 million 
fully guaranteed over the first two years when the sum of what he was going to make this year and next year was just over 50. But he also has 17 million as a practical matter, fully guaranteed for the third year. So it's 65 million over three years, fully guaranteed as a practical matter for Demarcus Lawrence. And that's driven by the franchise tender. See, the market doesn't matter. That That's where people get all twisted up and frankly erroneous when it comes to what a guy should get once he's been tagged. Once you're tagged, the market doesn't matter. What other players make doesn't matter. All that matters is how much am I due to make this year? How much would I make next year? And will the team fully guarantee the sum of two years of franchise tag? That And if they'll do that, it's reasonable for the player to take it. It no longer is about the market at that point. That's how it works. And it's amazing to me, and I, I, and it's not because I possess any super intellectual abilities, because I don't. The best thing I got going for me is I'm diligent and I work hard. And some things based on experience, I just retain. I, I Things that I like. I, I don't have a photographic memory per se, but things I'm interested in, I will remember for decades. Things that I'm genuinely interested in get imprinted onto my brain like a tattoo. And a lot of this stuff I find interesting. But I, I just I, I feel like not enough people in the media understand how simple this is when a guy has a franchise tag. Fully guarantee this year, fully guarantee next year, and that's the guts, that's the basis, that's the uh, structure and framework of a long-term deal. At the C.J. Newman, very serious about this PFTPM posse get-together. Sometime this summer, bowling near me, karaoke, I mean, if I'm the only one singing, that's cool. I do have a pretty cool karaoke machine, but, but again, you're not coming to my house. Folks, I love you, but I can't have you at my house. You understand that, don't you? I cannot do this at my house. I don't want people knowing where I live. I just can't. I'd, I'd have to vet each one of you. I remember three and a half years ago when my internet son, PFT Commenter, wanted to come to the house and interview me for whoever he was writing for at the time. It wasn't Barstool. It was SB Nation, I think. And I said, look, I'm very leery of this because, number one, I don't know what your name is. And number two, I work where I live. Be different if I had an office somewhere and you could walk off the street and say, hey, I'm here to see the boss. So he eventually told me his name and I managed to keep that secret until it eventually came out that he's the twin brother of the late Eric Sollenberger. But I, uh, I, I'm very leery about people I don't know. And, and I, I mean, it may feel like you know me because you hear from me all the time, and I like that. I like having that connection, but I don't know you. So I can't have a bunch of people I don't know at my house. I can't do it. I got an obligation to my family not to take those kinds of risks by introducing into my home elements that I don't know. So we'll work something out. I don't know what or where whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's Morgantown, whatever. Not Dallas, not L.A. We've ruled those out. Maybe Pittsburgh. Maybe Morgantown. See, the problem is if we do it within driving distance of where I live, somebody's going to decide to find my house and come up here. So anyway, we'll work on it.
PFTP and Posse, at what point does somebody or some group go after the NFL as a monopoly with anti-competitive business practices and how would they best attack it? Well, first of all, you can't just go on a crusade to take down the NFL for having a monopoly in anti-competitive business practices. I guess the Justice Department could do that if they really wanted to. But if you are somebody beyond the government, then you would have to have some sort of a grievance, some sort of a claim, some sort of a lawsuit that you would have standing to bring in a court of law. And that would mean you would have to start a football league that would be victimized by the monopolistic practices of the NFL, much like what happened with the USFL. And the USFL eventually won in court in 1986, but they secured a verdict of $1. Now, they were also able to recover their attorney's fees, which can be an extremely high amount, but there was no damage that was proven. Three prongs of that stool. That's one of the things that I have been mentioning from time to time, not because I am intent on teaching any of you how to make good business decisions as a potential lawyer, but you've got to have liability, you got to have damages, and you got to have somebody who can pay. If those three prongs aren't there, you're wasting your time if you take a case on for a plaintiff who isn't paying you by the hour, but you are getting paid on a contingency fee. And even if you're going to, to pay a lawyer by the hour, why do you want to spend the time and the money and incur the litigation risk if at the end of the day, you're going to have a hard time proving that there was a violation of the law, or you're going to have a hard time proving that there were any actual damages, or you're going to have a hard time recovering. The USFL had two of the three prongs, liability and recoverability, but they weren't able to prove damages. And that was that. So you'd have to have somebody, like somebody would have to say, we're starting a football league that will play in the fall, compete with the NFL. We will welcome college football players who aren't eligible for the NFL draft. We will sell our games to the NFL's broadcast partners. And if the NFL tries some heavy-handed tactics to shut down that league, that's the kind of thing that would unlock a potential antitrust claim. But the chances that happen are are slim because I don't see anyone if the AAF couldn't find one big ticket investor to get the league through a single season consisting of 40 regular season games and three playoff games how in the hell is anybody going to position itself to compete head-to-head with the NFL although I still continue to believe that there is an opening for an old school football league that would embrace the rules of the 70s and the 80s play rough and tumble football And that would appeal to a lot of people. Ethically, I don't know that it would be easy to justify investing in it or operating it, but everybody knows the risks at this point. No one can say we don't know the risks of playing full contact, full speed, high impact football. Next question. Ned's feed. What types of stadiums are going to be used going forward if the global warming talk is real? The dome should be safe, but will the open ones need some sort of a fan system installed, and will that impact kicking? I, I is that a real, is that a real question? I, I don't know that, like global warming. Like one of the big concerns of global warming isn't that it's going to be really hot when it's time to play football. The main concern is like millions of homes, if not billions of homes, on the shoreline at the two coasts will be underwater cities will be underwater i think that's the concern the rising level of the ocean that's the main concern so 
I think if we're at the point where we're worried about whether or not they can play football outdoors in the months of September through January in the Northern Hemisphere, we got a, we got a real problem. <laughs> I, I think we may be already dead at that point. At the real four now, oh, Tyler, this hurts me. How many AAF players have been signed? Is it over 1.5? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it's well over 1.5. My, my tweet from last week was mainly a joke, and it was aimed at, and I own it. Look, I, I should have pegged a higher number. But the, the point is, this, and, and actually the fact that so many have been signed proves my point that having access to bottom-of-the-roster NFL players was not going to save the AAF because obviously they had bottom-of-the-roster NFL players because 20 of them have signed with the NFL. So, and we'll see how many of these guys end up on 53-man rosters. Maybe that's the over-under 1.5. Maybe I should have been more clear, although that really wasn't what I intended at the time. We'll set a new over-under 1.5 on 53-man rosters, and on that, I'll bet the under. At the real Forno, how amazing is it? the Vikings got Daniel Hunter signed for 14.2 million when Demarcus Lawrence got 21.5 million? Look, that that's the value of swooping in and getting a guy signed before he finishes his rookie contract, before he spends a year under the franchise tag, before that franchise tender gets to 20.56 million. Because then it's not about the market, it's about your franchise tag. And it's about calculating it based on that. At the Real Forno, with your love of Kiss, were you ever into other glam rock bands? I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I didn't care about any of the other bands. I didn't care about any of them. Blue, Blue Oyster Cult, Angel, I remember they were like the the the, the all-white version of Kiss. They, they, they were like a theatrical group back then. Led Zeppelin. I, I was, it was Kiss and nothing else when I was growing up in the 70s. Nothing else. So, to answer your question, no, I was not. At the Real Forno, are the Packers just trying to brush off the article from Tyler Dunn by not saying anything, or is it a big mistake to not defend Aaron Rodgers? If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I want somebody with the organization to stand up and say fake news. Now, my understanding is that Rodgers was planning to speak at some time midweek. We'll see what he has to say. But it's got to be concerning that the team doesn't put out a statement saying we disagree. Here's the problem, though. When you start down that path, where do you stop? See, the, the beauty of this story is there's so much in there. What do you say? Do you have to address it point by point? Paragraph one, we disagree. Paragraph two, we agree. Paragraph three, we kind of agree. I don't think you want to treat it like an answer to a civil complaint. So what do you do? Mike McCarthy opted to deny the most damaging allegation against him. And, you know, McCarthy's problem is he coached as long as he did. When it's time for teams to hire a new coach... And you've got guys who have never been head coaches before. They're not saddled with the baggage of a decade plus of being a head coach and all the stuff that can happen during that window. Another one from Tyler Forness at The Real Forno. How was your visit to Minnesota? Did you enjoy the Final Four? I, I love going to Minnesota. I've been there four times now in less than three years. And it's funny because I've got a Mancini's Charhouse matchbook here on my on my desk because every once in a while I'll have a candle that will light you know if uh, depending upon what I've been eating and um, I <laughs> I saw it a couple weeks ago and and I thought man I wonder when I'm going to do Mancini's again and uh, one thing led to another 
and an opportunity arose to go to the Final Four, and my son really wanted to go, really wanted to go. He insisted that we go, so I said, screw it, we'll go. We went Friday, got in Friday night, pain in the ass getting an Uber at the airport. You're welcome for my service. Got to the hotel, quick change, back to St. Paul, great dinner, and then a lot of sleep Friday night. Saturday, went over to the stadium as soon as the doors opened, hung out there for like eight hours. It was great. It was so wild to be in a football stadium that I had been in before on multiple occasions, and it screams football stadium when you're there, and it's configured for football, and it screamed basketball, screamed it. The only evidence that something didn't fit was in each of the four corners of the second level, there was an area of empty seats. So there was this pocket of purple that was kind of glaring. And and I guess they thought if they wedged seats in there, those people really wouldn't be able to see the court or they'd have to like sit funny. I don't know. They could have sold those seats for five bucks each just to fill them up. Hey, you know, you you get to show up. We're going to go ahead and fill and we're going to fill those seats just so. You know, you, you get the the illusion of a full stadium because it was weird to have those four four corners that were just kind of like pockets on a on a pool table. It's just weird, but uh, but it was great. It was a great setup, and the, they had to spend I've heard like six million to cover up all the windows because they got the roof, they got the side, they had to cover all that up. There was this big giant Close Encounters mothership hovering over the the court that looks like it's there all the time, and obviously it's not because it'd be so low every punt would hit it but uh, but yeah it was great had a great time came home yesterday fought for a little bit about staying for the game tonight but I, I like being in my element and it's nice to be home because now I got five straight weeks five straight weeks of being at home and that is great got one more business trip for this off season and then after that it is home until the week before Labor Day weekend so that part of it is very good and it's great to be at that phase in the calendar when I can kind of relax. I got a project I'm going to work on, I think, during the non-travel phase. We may talk about that more coming up. It's something I've been thinking about for a couple of years. And it's something that I've started to work on from time to time. But I really need to have the opportunity to, to kind of block off a few hours at a time. Maybe once a day, every day for, I don't know. A couple of months and uh, maybe I could bang it out. I think you probably get the idea what I'm talking about. A, a life, a life-size sculpture of Paul Tagliabue is what I'm talking about. So uh, let's see what else we got here. Sashi 89M over. On, oh, let me tell you one other story. Let me tell because I, I have a feeling this is going to come up tomorrow when I'm on Paul Allen's show. My kid and I are leaving the stadium, and we're outside. We're walking on the street, and there's people in front of us, and there's people behind us. And we're just walking. We're in the flow. And as we're walking, I heard a voice yell, walk. And I like, kind of like, well, that was odd. And then like five seconds later, walk. So I turned around and there was this, I, you know, the first thing you do. And, and even though I have no intention whatsoever to engage in any sort of fisticuffs with people I either don't know or do know, the first thing you do. It's a visceral primitive reaction. You do the quick Terminator scan, right? You do the quick, you know, you run the numbers. Do I think that if it hit the fan, I could take this guy? And my answer, now I didn't know how many were in his party, but the guy who was being mouthy, my answer was absolutely I could. 
which tells you, you know, that's a very small segment of society. But I, I just, I was perplexed. It's like, and I looked again, he gave me this dirty look and he said, walk. And I, I said, do you see there are people in front of us? Now, there may have been a profanity that emerged at some point after I felt verbally provoked. I wasn't going to physically provoke the guy, but uh, I, I was, you know, if, if, if someone was going to make the first move, my son and I fully intended to engage in self-defense. And there were a lot of witnesses around. And, and my son got upset. Now he restrained himself, which is good because he's a lot younger than me and a lot bigger than me and has a lot more testosterone flowing through his veins than I do. But... It was just weird. And eventually I, I said, I stopped and I said, you go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. If it's moving too slow, you play through and you, you can yell at the people who are in front of us. And then one of them still turned back at me and went, walk. And, and I, I, I can't tell with kids nowadays. I don't know if they're being drunk or if they're just being punks. I, I just don't know. But, uh, but anyway, it was, it was. <laughs> It was one of those moments where your blood pressure goes from completely normal to through the roof. And it's just, I, I, it's like, we're, we're in Minnesota. Everybody's, you betcha. And it's nice, and I love it there. And these, these hooligans decided they were going to try to start something. Now, apparently, and my son noticed this, I didn't. Apparently, there was someone in their group. And I don't know how old these kids were. I, I can't tell. I, anywhere between 15 and 30, I don't know. They may have been my kid's age, early 20s. But apparently someone in the group was like the dad or the big brother, and he convinced all of them to shut the hell up. But, uh, yeah, we were. And, and let me tell you, you do not want to mess with my kid. My kid is country strong. My kid will pick you up and throw you through a wall if you motivate him to do so. But he, we had a talk after that about, you know, the way the dominoes could fall if you do find yourself in some sort of an interpersonal physical confrontation in Minnesota. That it may not be something that gets sorted out all, you know, cleanly and neatly before it's time to catch our flight the next day. And uh, the idea of having to make a phone call to Sam Flood, the executive producer of NBC Sports, and say, hey, you know, Sam, uh, I got to tell you something. Uh, I'm in jail. In jail. For assault. I thought he was 21. He was actually 14. And I punched him in the face and broke his jaw. Yeah. So it all worked out well, but it was so, it was just so bizarre. So bizarre. Other than that, we had a great time. And actually that was one of those things where it was kind of like a father son bonding moment. We were able to kind of experience it together and we defended each other. And then, you know, we had a, a, a talk about, you know, the, the perils of getting into fights with people you don't know or with people you do know. And then we had a laugh about it last night at Dustin Lowmiller. What do you do for the draft? I'm breaking out the smoker, smoking some pork shoulder, grabbing some locally brewed beverages, and watching all three days on DallasCowboys.com. I didn't know that DallasCowboys.com televised the draft. I, I was thinking about going to Nashville, but we decided at one point that we were just going to stay in our respective camps, do the show from our usual environment. It, it's it's too hard to, to get good access, and you got to do the show on the road. And it, you know what? I... I'm fine being at home. I'll go down to the barn. I'll have NFL Network on one channel, ESPN on another, Fox on another. No, not Fox, ABC on another. Fox doesn't have it this year, and there'll probably be a hockey game on. Maybe I'll have two hockey games on. I don't know, but it's going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, barn time, and I look forward to that. Working throughout the festivities, doing our shows in the morning, doing PFTPM podcast, quite possibly, and uh, 
Uh, I'm looking forward to all that. And it'll be here in two and a half weeks. Sashi89M, over under on how many games it will take for AB's first sideline dust-up as a member of the Raiders, and your prediction as to whether the beneficiary will be Gruden or Derek Carr. Look, I I think, I don't know beneficiary is the right word, because I don't think anybody benefits from this. I think if it doesn't work in Oakland, it's going to be on Derek Carr. And it's either going to be Antonio Brown in his face, or John Gruden taking passive-aggressive or aggressive-aggressive shots at Derek Carr, but it's going to be on him. If it doesn't work and it's going to grease the skids for car to be out of town. Well, they're all going to be out of town because they're going to Las Vegas. It's going to grease the skids for the team to move to Las Vegas without Derek Carr. And it won't surprise me if it happens. If we're talking a year from now about who Derek Carr is playing for or going to play for and who the quarterback of the Raiders is going to be. And, and that look, they got three out of 32 first round draft picks. They can still draft a quarterback and that's going to change the entire vibe and dynamic in Oakland if that happens. Matt in Beantown, you always told the PFTPM posse faithful the only part of a basketball game we need to watch is the last five minutes. So what did the Florios do during the first 35 minutes of regulation while attending the NCAA Final Four? We watched the game from time to time, although, you know, there's plenty of food to be eaten. There's plenty of beverages to be consumed. And it's just it's just being there and taking it all in. But I will agree that we paid closer attention to what was happening on the Portable basketball court in the final five minutes of each game. A red zone out. Is it fair to ask why Mike McCarthy stayed in Green Bay so long? Aaron Rodgers is clearly as difficult as he is talented. I, I Look, McCarthy had security there. Winning that Super Bowl gave him not quite a lifetime job, but pretty close to it. One of the problems, and I firmly believe this, and I know other people feel differently, but I don't care. I believe what I believe. Isn't that our, our birthright as Americans? We believe what we believe. And, and my beliefs are based upon the objective facts. I think the absence of an owner makes it easier for the Packers to tolerate being good enough. Whereas with other teams, being good enough doesn't cut it. That getting close to the doorstep, knocking on the door, that that becomes tantalizing and maddening to the point where eventually they say, you've taken the organization as far as you can. We're moving in a different direction. But see, once you win a Super Bowl then you've proven you can take it all the way. The question is, when will you do it again? And how many chances do you get to do it again? And they went to the playoffs eight straight years. But I I think that with one of the great quarterbacks in NFL history to have not gotten back to a Super Bowl, that's a reason why McCarthy's not there. And if they had a traditional owner in Green Bay, I think he would have been gone a while ago. Because what would have happened is... A traditional owner at some point would have thought, you know what? I want to upgrade. I want Sean Payton. I want whoever. And I'm going to work it all behind the scenes and I'm going to line it all up and I'm going to go get him. I think there's a greater propensity for a team owned by a single person to do that than a corporate owned franchise. I really do. And I think at some point between 2010 and 2018, if there were a traditional owner, there would have been a deal done, wink, nod behind the scenes, and then McCarthy would have been fired, and they would have gone through the motions, and then the new guy would have been hired. Matt and Beantown, idea for a PFTPM posse meetup, the Greenbrier during NFL training camp, so long as the team goes there this summer. I don't think any team is set to go there this summer. I think the Texans are done, and I don't know that there's anybody else that fits the profile. The profile is a team that plays in a dome in a very, very warm weather climate 
and they don't practice in their home stadium for training camp. The only other team that would be close to that would be the Cardinals, but they practice in their in their stadium. They do training camp there. The the Saints were the first, and then came the uh, the Texans. But like the Florida teams are all in open air facilities, so they they need to get acclimated to the heat. So the, 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 that's it. There's nobody else in a dome in a warm weather climate that can say, hey, we need to get out of the heat and we need to go do our thing and get ready to play games inside when the uh, the regular season rolls around. Matt and Beantown, the NBA, is notorious for players disputing with each other, yet most retain their public image. What is it about the NFL that causes media and fans to criticize the league's players more so than other professional sports? Like, I don't follow basketball enough to know how beefs among players are reacted to. All I know is Antonio Brown's clearly in the wrong here. And I'd like to think if he was playing any other sport and doing the things he's doing, people would say so. Skull Mitzel. What are the Bengals going to do at number 11? It seems like Haskins falling to them is starting to pick up steam. Yeah, well, will they take him? That's the question. Will they? I don't know. Fittis and Kane, I've heard various reporters disagreeing about whether Tom Brady can get extended until August when his last incentives were added. Is this true? There's, yeah, I think there's something. If it's going to reduce the, I don't know, but you're you're right. There, There needs to be, under certain circumstances, a full year has to pass before you can do a contract again. That was a thought that maybe they were waiting to do Gronk's deal. I was at I, I was at last year when they added the incentives a year after doing incentives. I can't remember. But th- there is something to that. I just don't remember the nuances or I, I maybe never knew them well enough to commit them to memory. But but there is something to that. The Impact 99, how serious are Russell Wilson's threats towards the Seahawks about a new contract? Well, I don't know that they're threats because he's not going to hold out. We've reported that. He's not going to hold out. He's not going to skip voluntary drills. I think the thing to worry about with Russell Wilson is that he's bound to determine to go year to year like Kirk Cousins. And if the Seahawks don't give him what he would take on a long-term deal before April 15, he's going to say, screw it. I'm just going year to year. That's what they need to be concerned about. Dylan Boer, who's your favorite Viking that's currently on the team? I <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I like Everson Griffin. I like Daniil Hunter. I like Harrison Smith. I like Kyle Rudolph. I like Stephon Diggs. I like Adam Thielen. I don't know. I'd have to think about that as which one's my favorite. At the Impact 99, was the hidden ultimate goal of the AAF to be the guinea pig for gambling and a gambling act? Well, no, because they would have stayed longer. They would have stayed longer. Eight games wasn't enough. Skull Mitzel was a possible a Russell, Russell Wilson trade could go down before the draft. Hey, anything's possible. I mean, if if the Seahawks decide that they don't want to pay him what he wants on a long-term deal and they don't want to do the year-to-year franchise tag, then they get value for him and move on. But, you know, they, they've got him at an affordable number this year, $17 million in cash, $25 million in cap, and they could keep him next year at a franchise tender of $30.34 million. I don't know. Maybe they would trade him after this year, after the next year. I'd be surprised if they trade him now. Because here's the other thing. Who's your quarterback going to be? Before you part with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, you better have an idea who the next guy is going to be. K. Steez, 13. Can you explain the rule, the wording, and the legal interpretation stopping college football players from entering the NFL without three years of service? 
How could the XFL word their rules to allow college-age men to accrue service time while playing XFL and be eligible for the NFL draft with NCAA players? This one's easy. The NFL has a rule that is now codified in the CBA that says you cannot enter the NFL draft until your high school class is three years removed from graduation, period. You got to wait three years from your high school class graduation. And after that, you're good to go. Doesn't matter whether you play college football. It doesn't matter whether you don't. It doesn't matter what you do. And in theory, you can go play in the XFL. You can go play anywhere. You can do anything. You just have to wait three years before you enter the NFL. And the whole idea is that they, they, they're protecting these guys from themselves because we don't want 18-year-olds to be rumbling with 32-year-olds. And also, I think it protects the teams against drafting a guy before he's physically ready. And it's, it's all, look, it's all bullshit. It, it, it's a lie to cover up the idea that the NFL and the NFL Players Association are complicit in the effort to ensure that college football will have three full years. You get three years to make money off of these guys in exchange for peanuts. And then they're eligible to come join us. That That's where that comes from. So the XFL can do whatever it wants. It doesn't need any special rule. It doesn't need to do anything. It just needs to open its doors to anybody who wants to apply. And look, I know this sounds melodramatic at times, but I've heard from people in the military who appreciate me pointing out that at the age of 18, you can sign up to go fight and die for your country. So I don't know why there's this concern in protecting guys who are playing football at the age of 18 against guys who are older and more developed and whatever. It's up to the team to protect the guys. They have a vested interest in protecting the guys. All right. Sean Alvishar, what other sporting events are on the Florio and Son of Florio bucket list? Yeah, it's a good question. I haven't really thought about it. Well, I didn't even know this was on the bucket list until the opportunity arose. We've been to Stanley Cup final game, two of them. We have been to Super Bowls together, multiple. But the final four, so I guess I guess we need to go to the World Series and we need to go to the NBA Finals at some point. Complete the, it's not trifecta, trifecta plus one. On tour forever, who did it better in their prime? Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson? My money's on Clint. Yeah, I was always a Clint Eastwood guy. I didn't really like Charles Bronson. I didn't get Charles Bronson. Clint Eastwood was cool. He's still cool. He's cool in a just kind of a weird old man kind of way now. But anytime I see somebody who is in their mid to late 80s still working, I appreciate that. I respect that. Sid Hartman at 99, Gil Brandt's 85, Clint Eastwood's directing movies at 88. Look, we're all going to get there if we're lucky. It's very easy for people who are young and stupid to make fun of the older folks out there, but here's how it works. The planet will continue to do loops around the sun, and after each loop is completed, you will have one number added to your age. And eventually... If you live that long, you will get up to 60, I know it's hard to believe, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, and who knows how many beyond that if you live that long. The people who are able to still perform, the people who are able to do the things that they love to do, that's amazing. Amazing. So, I got a lot of respect for Clint Eastwood. Yeah, he's very old right now. But he's still getting it done. And we're all heading in that direction. And, and I think that's a sign of true maturity. Once we realize that that's where we're all headed, if we're lucky enough to live that long, you just accept it. Go read Tuesdays with Maury. I read that years ago. 
and it gave me great perspective. It was a perfect time to read it. I was early 30s, and you start thinking about this never-ending treadmill of day becomes month, becomes week, or wait, day becomes week, becomes month, becomes year. And they pass, and they pass, and they pass, but, you know, there's a time for everything. And if we get to experience as much of it as possible, we're fortunate. And the goal is to experience as much of it as possible, which means go get a physical every year if you're on the wrong side of 40. Get a colonoscopy every five years. Make sure that any treatable and early diagnosable illness is caught and handled so you can live as long as possible, if not for you, for your family. Simple. And, and ride that planet as many times around the sun as you possibly can. And, and work. Do the thing that you love to do for as long as you can. Don't look forward to retiring. And if you have a job, boy, this really turned like, I don't know. If you have a job that you can't wait to retire from, you got the wrong job. And don't settle for anything until you find a job that, that you thoroughly and completely love. And it's easy for me to say that because I found one, but I didn't settle either. I had jobs I didn't like and I was always looking for something, some way, somehow that would be something I liked. Whatever it was, whatever it is, whatever it may be. You keep finding that thing. You keep looking for that thing. And I was fortunate and I'm grateful that the dominoes fell in a way that it worked out for me. Because I know a certain amount of it was me, but a lot of it wasn't. A lot of it was happenstance and circumstance and right place at the right time and a few lucky breaks here and a few lucky breaks there and everything kind of worked out. But... You want to continue to be searching for that thing that you would make your profession until you die with your boots on. Because I think if you find something like that, you're more likely to live a hell of a lot longer in those boots while you keep working. All right, enough of that. Let's see what else we got. Oh, boy. Some of these are repetitive. On tour forever. If the AF didn't have enough funding set up, why wouldn't they just wait until 2020? That would be a bad look, but not as bad a look as folding before completing one season. I really do think that they exhausted all resources of significant funding, and they decided, we're just going to do this and hope that we can continue to find money once people see the product. And if we can, we can. If we can't, we can't. I mean, their alternative was to abort. I, I wrote this today. It was either abort or shout, damn the torpedoes. And they shouted, damn the torpedoes. So I don't know that they were going to solve their problems in a year, because if you don't have someone to fund it now, where are you going to find somebody to find it later? It's not like there's a bunch of opportunities out there for somebody to be the major investor in a new sports league. It's one of those things where once you announce it, people should show up. They should line up. I think that's what they thought. I think that's where they miscalculated this. They thought if you build it, they will come. And it didn't happen. All right, should probably wrap it up here. Let's see. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Um, looking for, looking for one more to wrap this up with. What is Antonio Brown doing? That's from Big D71398. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't think he knows. And and what he's doing now undermines the idea that there was any type of strategy to what he did in January and February. I just think that that he got lucky. That the Steelers were ready to move on from him and he was able to, able to create this sense that he wanted out when the reality is he was getting out anyway. And and the best he did was, number one, avoid a trade to Buffalo and number two, get more money from the Raiders. 
That was how he won. But I think the Steelers were at the point where they were done with him, as evidenced by the fact that they only got a three and a five for him in return. All right, got to wrap. Should be a fairly lengthy edition of the PFTPM podcast today. If I can add correctly, it's probably about an hour and 20 minutes, so that's more than enough for you to listen to. We appreciate that you have listened to it. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of PFT Live. Thanks again to Oliver Luck for his time. Tuesday morning, Chris Sims and I, uh, probably a little bleary-eyed because I'm going to stay up and watch the basketball game tonight. Hopefully it'll move quickly. Uh, and I can get to bed and get a few hours of sleep. We'll be at it tomorrow, 6 a.m. on NBC Sports Radio, 7 a.m. on NBCSN. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We will talk again soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.